Father, thank you for hearing the cries of our heart this morning. Thank you that your ear is always open to our cry. And thank you so much for promising in Isaiah 55 that your word always accomplishes what you send it for. So would you send your word to our hearts this morning to refresh us, to empower us, to invigorate us, to guide us, and to transform our lives and the lives of people around us. We pray this because of Jesus and all he's done to us, for us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. They began to look around the crowd, wondering which one was he, where was he? They, they couldn't pick him out of the crowd. There was nobody extraordinary looking. Everybody seemed to be just ordinary folks in that crowd, but he had to be there somewhere. He had just said that this was the man. But as they looked throughout the crowd, they could not figure out who John the Baptist was talking about. John the Baptist's ministry had been going on for some time now. There was rumors that he had baptized somebody and that there had been some thundering or maybe a voice after he had baptized him. And then this is some 40 days or so later, this Sanhedrin has come to John the Baptist asking him, are, are you the Christ? Are, are you Elijah the prophet? Are, are you Moses? Who are you? Why are you baptizing? Why are you, why are you doing all this? You see, what John the Baptist was doing was having such a huge impact on all of the people that were flocking to him that people were getting worried, saying, okay, is this a revolution that's about to take place? John the Baptist could have in that moment responded, yes, I'm the Messiah, like many others did repeatedly during that time period that said, okay, I'm going to gather a group of people, we're going to fight the Romans. He had masses of people coming to him, but he didn't do that. Instead, he said, I'm not the one. I'm just a simple voice crying out and saying that there's somebody coming. I'm just preparing the way. I'm just baptizing so that the one who is coming can be revealed. But that day in John chapter 1, we're told that John the Baptist said that he stands among you, one who you do not know, who's preferred before me because he came before me. He has existed If you look in the beginning of John, from all eternity, equal with God the Father. Go with me to John chapter 1. After this story, we find that they didn't find Jesus on that day. And the next day comes and John the Baptist is again preaching. Day in and day out. Sometimes we see the highlights of a person like John the Baptist's ministry and we feel, well, it was just all of these moments where Amazing things was happening. He, he baptized Jesus and the Holy Spirit came down and then disciples started to follow him. But there's long periods of time in here where day after day, John the Baptist is going out there and he's teaching people from the Old Testament about the coming Messiah. And in John chapter 1, we pick up the story in verse 29 after he said that there's somebody standing among you who's going to baptize with the Holy Spirit. I, I'm not able to even untie his sandal strap. He says this, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Think about how practical this message would be for you if you were an Israelite, since the time you were little, any time you violated one of the myriad of laws that were contained in the Old Testament, you had to go and you had to take that lamb and you had to take it to the temple and you had to confess your sins over it and you had to slit the throat of the lamb. This was something real and relevant to them. Something that they had dealt with throughout their lives. And John the Baptist standing there, he looks at Jesus, and he says, behold, look at this. This is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He goes on to describe a little bit more about Jesus, saying that he's the one who's coming, who's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. But nothing really happens as far as disciples following Jesus or anything that day. You see repeated accounts where Jesus shows up in John the Baptist's ministry. 
And it's not until the next day that finally people begin to follow Jesus. Today I want you to think about what does it take for me to follow Jesus? And what does it take for me to help other people to follow Jesus? John the Baptist kept pointing repeatedly to Jesus again and again, day after day. Behold, look at, look at the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You see the next verse, verse 35. Again, the next day, John stood with two of his disciples. We'll find out in a minute that this was Andrew, and we believe the other one was John. And looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. I remember just before I got to the privilege of moving here and becoming pastor of this church, I read this verse. I think it was just starting to read through John, and I, I said, you know, if there's one thing that God could give me in my ministry at Templeton, it's this verse. That people would hear me speak like they heard John the Baptist speak. And they would follow Jesus. I want to encourage you to to have that as your life goal. That people would hear you speak. That they would see you live. And that they would follow Jesus. So simple and yet so profound that it will change the world around you. If you live a life where people can see Jesus in you, where people can hear Jesus' words coming from you, then people will follow Jesus when you speak and when they're interacting with you. But how did the disciples know at this point to, to begin following Jesus? What was it about John that enabled this overflow of, of joy about Jesus to come out of him? Why was it that he was so excited about building up this other teacher's ministry? The verse before this gives us an important little insight into to how John is acting in this moment. Verse 36, going back to verse 36, it says, And looking at Jesus as he walked. The word that he's using for to look is an intensification of the normal word just to look. He's looking intently at Jesus. He's focused on Jesus. And I want to postulate today that it wasn't just at this moment that he was focused on Jesus. But John the Baptist had gone into the wilderness and he had spent months focused on Jesus. He had spent years focusing on Jesus. He'd been reading through the Old Testament prophecies. That's why he was able to look at Jesus and say, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I am just a voice crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. John the Baptist had been doing like we talked about last week. We talked about how that river came flowing out of the rock at Horeb, which eventually is there at Mount Sinai. And that river comes out and people are drinking from it. And later on we see this picture of a river of water of life that you and I are told to quench our thirst from. We do that through the power of the Holy Spirit. We do it through following what Jesus has given us to do. So here, John the Baptist, he's been drinking deeply. That's what enables him at this point to be able to say in a compelling way, look, behold, here is the Lamb of God. And his two disciples, they say, okay, we're out. We're going to go and follow Jesus. Continuing on the story in verse 38, then Jesus turned, seeing them following, and said to them, what do you seek? They said to him, Rabbi, which is to say translated teacher, where are you staying? They, they didn't want just a momentary encounter with Jesus. They said, we've got to figure out where you live. We want to come over to your house. We want to sit down. We've, we've got to know more about you because we've seen John the Baptist in his ministry. We see how he lives. He looked to you and he said, you're the Lamb of God. That compelled us and we've got to know more about you. I want that for my life. That when people come into contact with me, it gives them a thirst for Jesus. That they, they just desperately want to know Jesus. That they can't wake up in the mor- wait to wake up in the morning to open their Bible to find more of Jesus because all they can think about is the transforming power of Jesus. 
The love of Jesus. I want that to be the experience of anybody who comes in contact with me. That when they hear me speak, they follow Jesus. I want that to be the experience of anybody who comes through the door of this church when they encounter us. That because of coming in contact with us, they follow Jesus. And that's enough. We don't have to take them from square one all the way to heaven. But if they fix their eyes on Jesus, He will see them through. He will see them through to the end. Verse 39, Jesus responds and said to them, Come and see. They came and saw where He was staying and remained with Him that day. Now it was about the tenth hour. Now notice what happens from the very outset of beginning to follow Jesus, what takes place in these disciples' hearts. John quickly reveals the transformation and the power that begins to flow out of the disciples right away. Verse 40, one of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Now, I challenge you to to do a study on the name Andrew and to see how many times he pops up. He's not a very famous disciple. He doesn't come up in a lot of stories, but every time you find Andrew, he's doing the same thing. And that is what he does in the next verse. He first found his brother Simon and said to him, we found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. (laughs) That's what Andrew lived for. Bringing people to Jesus. Go and look up all the stories you can find about Andrew, and he's always bringing people to Jesus. That's a good motto for life. Even if you're not famous like the other disciples, if you could just be known for bringing people to Jesus, that is enough. Because we think about Peter. We think about the amazing ministry that he had. We think about how thousands of people were baptized when he preached on the day of Pentecost. And there's stories of him healing people. And even just his shadow passing over people would heal them. But Peter might not have come into contact with Jesus to the extent that he did without Andrew going and saying, hey, this is the Messiah. We have got to follow Jesus. You see, invitations are being made. John the Baptist makes this claim that this is the Messiah. Look, this is the Lamb of God. They follow and immediately they begin to invite others to follow. This is the first thing that takes place in our hearts when we know that we have been looking to Jesus. When we know that we are following Jesus, we begin to say to others, hey, you've got to come along with me and follow Jesus too because this is incredible. I know that because it continues on. Uh, after Andrew brings Simon to Jesus. And, and an interesting thing, verse 42, and he brought him to Jesus. Now when Jesus looked at him, he said, you are Simon, the son of Jonah. You should be called Cephas, which is translated a stone. As soon as Jesus sees him, he knows his name. He knows what he's, he already knows Peter. So who was the one that compelled Andrew to go and to get Peter? Was What about in your life? You think about the people that you really want to reach for God. The people that you really want to help them to follow Jesus. Do you ever get so frustrated and say, if I could just figure out the way that I could, if I just said the right things, if I just gave them the right books, if I just gave them the right Bible studies, if I just explained things in the right way, then I could get them to Jesus. But Jesus knows their name. He knows what's going on in their lives. And He's the one drawing them. He's the one reaching out to them. We've just got to be like Andrew and say, Jesus, who do you want me to invite today? And and what do you want me to tell them? How can I explain? We've got to be like John the Baptist and be looking at Jesus to the place where we begin to overflow into other people's lives and we begin to be able to share things from Old Testament prophecies, from New Testament prophecies. We begin to point people to Jesus in such a practical way to say, hey, He'll take care of the problems in your life. That sin that you're dealing with, that trial that you're going through, that difficulty that you don't know how you're going to have the resources to provide for it, Jesus will see you through that. We'll begin to overflow into other people's lives. So you see that Jesus knew Simon and He knew what He was going through and He was the one drawing Him all along. Verse 43, Jesus gives the first invitation to a disciple to follow him. The following day, Jesus went, wanted to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, follow me. 
giving that simple invitation. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Come and look at Jesus for yourself. The truth will stand on its own, my friends. This past week, I had somebody come into my office. Had some questions about some different things that they're struggling with. And I simply had to say to them, you know what? The truth will hold up. Go to the Bible. Search it out. I'm going to search this out too, and I'm going to come with the best answers that I can. But if you go to the Word of God, If you go to Jesus, you can trust that the truth is going to hold up. Point people to Jesus. Tell them to look to Jesus. And Jesus will lead them all the way into the kingdom. That's our goal. To lead people to follow Jesus. That's what every aspect of what we do should entail as Seventh-day Adventist Christians. If you're not a Seventh-day Adventist Christian, I just want to talk for a minute with those who are Seventh-day Adventist Christians. When somebody asks you, what does it mean to be a Seventh-day Adventist Christian? What do you say right away? What's the first thing out of your mouth? Well, you don't have to to tell me right now. But I want you to think about it. How do you respond? What is a Seventh-day Adventist? What does that really mean? I'll tell you what it means. It means that you follow Jesus. The name itself entails that seventh day, meaning that you worship Jesus, the creator of the universe, on the seventh day. Adventist meaning that you're looking forward to Jesus coming back. It's all about Jesus, my friends. Every aspect of what you believe should be focused on leading people to follow Jesus. John the Baptist was able to speak so amazingly about Jesus because he was focused on the Messiah. That was his focus. And he spoke out of the overflow of his heart. He was looking, it tells us, at Jesus as he walked, and he was entranced. He was was just gazing at Jesus, and it was out of the overflow of looking at Jesus that he was able to tell others to look at Jesus. So in my life, if I'm looking at anything else, it's going to be evident. You can tell what you're looking at. You might think, well, what does it really mean to look at something? You can tell what you've been looking at by your conversations. I want you to imagine that you meet somebody new, you begin to talk with them, and as you're talking with them, you go through different things in a conversation. You know how it goes. It can be kind of awkward at first. We're looking for something, some, some ground that we can talk about. And when that person gets to your favorite baseball team, are you able to talk about the players? Are you able to talk about the games? Are you able to talk about the season? then you've been looking at baseball. And I'm not saying that baseball is terrible, but I'm saying that you can tell that there's something there, right? You can tell that there's something inside that just comes flowing out of you. If they talk about, for instance, you might be a doctor and you run into somebody who is in the same field and you're able to connect and you begin to talk about it, you've been looking at your job. You understand and you have things to talk about. If when Jesus comes up in the conversation, if when Christianity comes up in the conversation and you don't have a lot to say, I'm not here to condemn you. But I'm here to say, let's look to Jesus. Let's look to His Word. Let's drink more deeply so that at that moment, there's this overflow that just comes out. Let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you what He did in my life this last week. Let me tell you about how He's helped me with the trials I've been going through. Let me tell you how He saw me through. Let me tell you what the Word of God has done in my life. I'm a Seventh-day Adventist Christian, and let me tell you what it's like to follow Jesus. And when you know Jesus like that, when I know Jesus like that, then I will speak, and people will follow Jesus. They won't follow me. They won't follow some set of doctrines that I've set up, but they will follow the pure Word of Jesus Christ, which I believe will lead them to worship on the seventh day. I believe that will lead them to Look to Jesus who's coming back to take us home. But what are we looking at? What is the overflow of our heart? Jesus says, out of the abundance of your heart, the mouth speaks. What is it that you can speak freely about? What is it that that is easy for you to converse with somebody about? Where do your thoughts run throughout the day? That's how you can tell 
what you're looking to? Does it go to your Facebook connections and what they've been doing and, and families and friends and what they're doing? All of these things aren't necessarily bad, but is there also an overflow in your heart when the name Jesus comes up? When you begin to, to talk about a Bible story, when you begin to talk about the relevance of the promises of God, are you, are you overflowing with joy saying, wow, this is the promise that God gave me this past week and look at what He's done in my life. I don't want you to walk out of here discouraged today, but I want you to walk out of here with hope. Just knowing that if you look to Jesus, He wants your life to overflow. He wants you to come to that river of the water of life that we talked about last week and drink freely. That's what Revelation 22 says. The Spirit and the bride say, come and drink of the water of life. Drink without cost. Come and drink freely. And that's the invitation that you see the disciples immediately running and giving to other people. When they went to Nathaniel, uh, Philip went to Nathaniel and, and asked him, or said that the Messiah, he just said simply, come and see for yourself. Verse 47, we see again that Jesus is the one who's been working in Nathanael's life throughout his experience. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Jesus says, I, I, I was watching you, Nathanael. I've been drawing you. I'm the one who is leading you to search the prophecies, to look for the Messiah. I'm the one who's been with you each step of your experience, your journey towards Jesus. It's been me who's leading you along. This morning, you might be thinking about that child. Where are they today? You wish that they were sitting next to you in church, or you, you wish that they were in a church somewhere, but you don't know where they are. Jesus knows where they are. Jesus follows them. He's thinking about them. He's doing everything possible to reach them. So focus on Jesus. Ask Jesus for help for your children, for your family, and Jesus will do it. He cares more about them than you can imagine. I care about my wife right now. I know that she's at home not feeling well. But I don't know exactly how she's feeling. I don't know if she's having another moment of intense pain. And if so, I'd probably run out the door and get in my car and say, you guys finish church on your own. But I know that Jesus knows exactly what she's going through. And the people in your life that you're wondering, how are they doing right now? Jesus knows. And He cares. So take it to Him. Cast all your cares upon Him. And keep bringing it to Him. Keep focusing on Him because Jesus Jesus will see you through and He'll see your family through. Verse 49, Nathanael answered and said to him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered and said to him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe you will see greater things than these? This is what God has in store for us individually and for us as a church. As we begin to invite people to Jesus and we see people coming to Jesus, there's that excitement to see as God does greater and greater things in people's lives as they focus on Jesus. I love in the Desire of Ages how it talks about this story and it says specifically talking about the example of Philip who went and invited Nathaniel, the example of Andrew who went and got Peter. Talking about their examples, page 141, it says, these examples should teach us the importance of personal effort, of making direct appeals to our kindred, friends, and neighbors. It's important to actually make that invitation. Jesus wanted for, for Andrew and for Philip to actually go. He could have just gone and, and found all of these people, but no. He allowed the disciples to have a part of that work of inviting people to come and to follow Jesus. There are those who for a lifetime have professed to be acquainted with Christ, yet who have never made a personal effort to bring even one soul to the Savior. I heard the story told about a woman who she was at work and a, her coworker came into work and she was all excited. She said, this past weekend, I found Jesus. I went to church. 
I'm a Christian now. I'm born again. I'm so excited. And the woman said, oh, that's wonderful. I've been praying for you. I'm so glad. The woman said, you've been praying for me? I said, yeah, I'm so glad. I'm a Christian too. Well, why didn't you tell me? This whole time, do you know that you're one of the major reasons that I never became a Christian? Well, what do you mean? How, how is that possible? I mean, I'm a Christian. I've been praying for you. Well, because you didn't know God and you lived such a good life and you were so nice. If you could do it without God, I figured I could too. It's important that we actually let people know who we're following and why it is that we are the way we are. You don't have to necessarily break out an entire Bible study to every person you meet. But don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to point them to Jesus. To let them know that that's what the blessing in your life is. To let them know that that's who you follow. Don't be afraid to confess Jesus to other people. I added the next part because I think it's important. It goes on to say this. They leave all the work for the minister. He may be well qualified for his calling. Or he may not be. That's an even worse case. (laughs) I'm sorry. He may not always be. And then it goes on to say, but he cannot do that which God has left for the members of the church. God has a calling for your life. God has somebody for you to reach, somebody for you to invite that I can't possibly come to invite because I don't know them. I don't get the chance to interact with them like you do. And furthermore, they're less likely to believe me. I'm a pastor. Of course I'm supposed to say that. But you, you're their friend. You, you're, you're their coworker. You're the, you're the one who they've seen your consistent, I hope, Christian life and following Jesus. And when you say something, that has an impact that's far more than what I could possibly say. That's what God is longing to do through you. He's longing for people to hear you speak and they'll follow Jesus. And that's enough. That's, that's, that's what we need is to give people that simple invitation. And this morning, I wanted to not just talk about giving the invitation, but to share a few stories from you yourselves, and we might get a chance to look at other stories in coming weeks, because I think one of the most inspiring things is to hear how God has done this in a person's life, and and what does that look like? So there's four different people that I want to go through interviewing this morning who have had this experience. I want to start with Luis. I'm going to have Luis come up here, and Luis is somebody who actually came to our church here not too long ago. But Luis, I want you to to tell me where you were the first time before you came to our church. Where were you at when you first received an invitation to come to church? Hi, uh, my name is Luis, and um, I was was actually at the gym. You were uh, where? At the gym. At the gym? Yeah. He's working out at the gym. You heard about Jesus in a gym. Uh, correct. I, um, I was invited by uh, Terrence. Um, oh, that makes sense. You've seen Terrence. He works out quite a bit, right? So yeah. Terrence was just doing what he does. He was working out. And, and what happened? What was your conversation like? Well, um, he was actually just, uh, he, was, he, was, he was working. He was just doing his regular job. And um, I was at the lobby and just, I was just, um, I was having one of those moments where I was just talking to God and I, um, I had just finished working out and, um, and he just came over and, and he just started talking to me and it was really exactly what I, ha- what I needed to hear. And, um, he invited me to prayer group and, um, you came to prayer meeting. Yeah. Did you find Jesus in prayer meeting or did you find loving people there at least? Um, yeah, I mean, it, it was, it was, um, Sorry, I'm putting him on the spot. No, um, it was. I felt very peaceful, uh, very, uh, very, because um, at that time I was going through uh, like a rough time uh, in my life, and and going to prayer group, and well, with with Terrence, I felt very, very welcome here. Um, and then when I came to church, um, I felt really, felt really amazing. Praise so, the Lord. Yeah. Thanks for welcoming Luis. Let's keep doing that. Thank huh? you. When people come here, we'll keep loving them and pulling them in because that makes a difference in their journey to follow Jesus. Amen. Praise the Lord. 
Amen. Amen. And Luis, when were you baptized? Do you remember? It was last... Um, March? Last March. I, I think so, yeah. Yeah, the, so it's been over a year yeah. now, and he was baptized. He went to the Hispanic meetings that, that were going on, and then he decided he liked the English church, so he's been coming down here. Yeah, I was, uh, I was having uh, um, Bible studies with, um, with, the, with the girls that came here, uh, Stephanie, Yoli, and, and Jasmine. Um, yeah. they, we were having Bible studies, my family with them, and... Um, it was it was very it was very it was a blessing. Like one thing I noticed about this this church, um, you guys are very. It's like a family, you know. It, it like it, it, uh, when I first started coming here, I definitely felt the the love in your in your actions. So that kind of like made me want to just know. I I didn't know anything about the Sabbath or nothing like that. And you guys were very welcoming and and uh, you know. You, I didn't feel judged, so it's like you know I want I want to learn more. I want to I want to grow. I want to I want to know more about the Sabbath, and 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 then that that made me want to be baptized, and and you know I'm I'm just glad I'm here. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Thanks, Luis. Thank you, man. Luis really does have a hunger for the Bible too. I'll tell you, one of his favorite things is to like on Saturday night we'll get together and we'll talk about the Bible for. Sometimes it'll go on for a couple hours and afterwards he's just all excited about it because he loves to focus on Jesus, to understand things about God. And he also loves to go out and give other people the invitation. Luis and I have gone out when we've had different events and we've taken flyers out to people. And Luis is somebody I know I can always call and he'll be, yeah, I'd love to go. He loves to share about Jesus because he's been looking to Jesus. And that makes all the difference in the world. Laura, I want to invite you to come up because Laura... Did you, were you working out in a gym when you heard about our church? I was walking out in of the gym. I, no. No. Not the gym. Okay. I was walking out of the nut house. Sorry. The Atascadero State Hospital where I worked. Ah. And um, Ita- wait, Itasca- you heard about our church in Atascadero State Hospital? Yes, I did. And I walked out, and you see, I used to drive by this church. See, Chris and I, my husband, we were going to beautiful evangelical churches. But the horror of the lack of understanding health was so appalling to me. Hmm. The way they'd have barbecues, the way they would have pastries, ham, pizza, and people were coming, they were struggling with obesity, they were struggling with cancer, and I knew this is not God's will. So I would drive by this Seventh-day Adventist church, and I would, this is my church. I belong in this church. And um, I told Chris, and Chris was a little, not quite as wanting to get into it as quickly as me. But, uh, That's okay, Chris. We love you. And he's here. This is his church. He loves it, and I love it. This is my church. So one day after work coming out, there was a flyer for a plant-based seminar and I thought and I saw I was at this church and I oh I'm going so I walked in those doors and I feasted my eyes wait where was the flyer oh it was outside the sally port the locked doors you know you come in the security doors it was on a at ash uh, a shelf so one of you put a flyer (laughs) at ash or somebody put a flyer at ash do you know who put it there well I think it was uh Mario Okay. I don't know if he's here today, but okay. so I was very excited and I walked in those doors and I cast my eyes upon this beautiful stained glass of Jesus tenderly holding a lamb and Amen. I knew I was home. And wow. uh, it, was a, it was a beautiful seminar and there was Danny Vieira magnificently on Amen. fire for health. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And I, I knew I was home. So... Uh, God's put it into my heart to help people with their health and every day I'm given a chance to minister yesterday I ministered to two people about we started off with talking about the health of dogs and then to the health of people ourselves and the plant-based way which is God's will which is the cherishing of Genesis 129 that's what God created for us is the plant-based way. And to come to our plant-based potluck the first Sunday of every month where we have the most stupendously wonderful food, 
that's all plant-based, which is what God wants for us. And to come and cherish our health as God wants us to. And see, that, that's how the people love to hear about that. Mm-hmm. They love to hear about to be healthy and radiant and strong in the way God wants us to. And so they mm-hmm. come to our church. Mm-hmm. And I just... Yeah, of course. I, when I heard Danny Vieira, I was so moved by him and so mesmerized by him. He was on this platform here and he was just on fire for help. And he made me weep. And I, I walked to him after, after his talk. And I was weeping. And I thanked him. And he said to me, where would be we, we be without Christ? Where would I be? I, it's just too scary to think about. And his wife, well, his fiancée at the time, Charmaine, she, you know, she was cured from breast cancer with plants. And the the sad thing is, is that Danny Vera had an untimely death last December 31st. And I just want to say, and I know Danny would want me to say this, that it's a health tip, but we have to keep our vitamin D levels high. And we have to take care of our skin. If your skin is screaming, you have to take care of it. You have to listen to it. It's a very temperamental organ. And we have to soothe it with the alkalizing power of plants and not put toxic fabric on it and not eat things like donuts and chocolate cake. Is that resonating with anybody in here? Ron? <laughs> Sorry. She's only saying that because I've heard her say again and again that she's addicted to fat, salt, and what was it you said? Those, oh. those three things are like addicting to you flavor, uh, flavor-wise, well, right? Well, I mean, I come from food addiction. Used to be. Used I used to be. To be. I, used to be. I, I did. Okay. So I understand about the donuts and the chocolate cake, but God will free you from that. And when the donuts and the chocolate cake are let go of, the skin's going to clear up, everybody. Clear up. As well as everyone else who was mentioned today who is struggling with sickness is going to be healed. They are going to be healed. Praise I know God. it. So, Praise okay, is there anything else? Thank you, you so much, okay. Lord. That's beautiful. <laughs> Praise the Lord. And if you have health questions, she's one to go to talk to because she has a passion for health. The Holy Spirit has given her an overwhelming, I think would be a good word for it, overwhelming passion for health. And that is wonderful. We need that in the family of Christ. You may not have that same passion. But that's okay. When you have health questions, go to, nur- to, the, to Laura as a nurse to, and also a, a, what is it? An RN nutritionist. Yeah, she, she can help you with your nutrition. She can help you with all different kinds of things. Come to the plant-based meal. So health, that's an awesome opportunity to give people an invitation. When you have conversations about health, say, hey, I have this practical thing where you can come and through that, who knows? Somebody might look and see Jesus. Somebody might recognize Jesus in us at that health seminar, and they might be sitting here next year, and we'll say, praise the Lord, we gave them a little invitation. We don't know who put the flyer there, right? But somebody put a flyer, and she's here because of it. So I want to invite Dennis to come up here. Now Dennis, Dennis has a passion too. Dennis has a real passion in his life, and what was that? From the time you were little, you also were opposed to, to chocolate donuts? From the time you were about eight years old? Is that what brought you here? That's not what brought me here. No, it's not health? It's not health. Oh. Although, I follow pretty good health laws. Not sure. perfect. I believe but We do. Okay. Uh, but, so tell me what happened. I mean, what was the journey that God led you on that brought you here? How was it for you? When I was in junior high... We were going to the Memorial Church, which is now the North County Christian Church there in Tascadero. They were having a revelation seminar. They had all us kids in one room, and they had uh, the adults in the main sanctuary where they were giving the, sanctuary, uh, the sermon. In order to use the restroom, we'd leave our room, and he had to pass in front of the double doors to go into the restroom. And as I passed through the double doors... 
I looked in the sanctuary, and there were these big pictures of the four horsemen of Revelation, all these other pictures. I never made it to the bathroom. I stood there and listened to the rest of the sermon. So as a little boy, you're fascinated with Revelation. I was sixth, probably sixth grade. Wow. And uh, it never left me. How I ended up here, I was married to uh, Teresa at the time. And she says, you're always reading all them books on Daniel and Revelation. They're having a seminar on the church in Templeton. So had you gone to other Revelation seminars? I'd gone to a lot of them, and I always found a conflict, something that didn't quite mesh, didn't interface properly. And I says, well, okay. Give the Seventh-day Adventists a try. I'll give them a shot, and I'll stay there till I can find something that don't work. Now, I'm 71 right now. This was probably when I was in my middle 20s. 20s, 50 years ago. And I'm still looking. Still looking for something that doesn't match. That doesn't match. <laughs> All right. It, uh, it's interesting. When you want to give a testimony, I was talking to Pastor Zach earlier. I says, it's not an event. Mm-hmm. It's a process. Mm-hmm. And I can look back in my life, see where God put me in a situation to create a, a, a way of thinking, a mind thought, a character development. And I can also see where Satan tried to counteract. And to keep the story short, hmm. if everybody looks at their life and their events in their life, especially when you're up in years and you can reflect back, you can see where God put those things in your life. Hmm. Hmm. Which tells me one thing. He knows each and every one of us intimately. And we're all important to him. Amen. Amen. That's what the book of Revelation is all about. (laughs) You take it from a guy who studied Revelation for 50 years. Well, no, because you started even younger than that. Praise the Lord. Seeing that, did you have something more to say? No. No. <laughs> yeah. You guys will just reflect on your life and look back. You'll see where God's worked in your life. Then you'll see where it counteracted. Because I wasn't always a good guy. I mean, I had events in my life I could take up another hour saying, here's how I led my life this time. Prayer meeting sometime. Then how God would say, no, think about this. And how I went out of following God's leading into living in the world's life. When I come back from the service, the hippie movement was on. I was a very bitter, angry, disillusioned person. And society was wine, women, and song. And I lived the life. But God eventually brought me out of it. Praise the Lord. <laughs> God's amazing. We can't wait to hear more of the testimony. Maybe we'll have it at a, a prayer meeting. We can hear the rest of that story, huh? But praise God. Sometimes it's health. Sometimes it's a revelation seminar. A flyer that gets given to somebody. I don't know how Teresa first heard about it, but maybe it was a flyer that she got and she decided to give that invitation to him to come. Praise the Lord for how he sees us where we're at. He sees you when you're under the fig tree like Nathaniel. He knows your name like Peter, he knows exactly what it is for you that will draw you towards Jesus. And he's doing everything possible in your life to put those things into place to draw you to Jesus. I'd like to invite Ashley to come forward. Now, you notice whenever we have the announcement for the, uh, the children's story that there's a little boy who comes very anxiously to the front, very excitedly, I should say, to the front. His name is Evan. And he's, he's Ashley's little boy. And I love to see the passion of our kids who are raised in church getting to learn about Jesus. And I want to see that happen more. So my question is, how do you, a young mother, how did you come to be in church and to want to raise Evan to know Jesus? So you were on the East Coast, and what made you move out here? Well, um... I, when I graduated from high school, I had the California dream. Everyone, if you're not in California, you think, oh, California is 
some heaven on earth, I guess, you know. And so my, I would always come out to my grandparents um, over the summer. And I thought, well, maybe I'd come and live with them and go to school. And um, so uh, I asked them very sweetly if I could move in with them. And yeah. they uh, obliged. And so um, they flew out and drove me in my car. Um, we did a road trip back to their house. And, um, was California what, all that you thought it was? Um, it was very brown. <laughs> <laughs> Sometime ask her what it happened that from the very time they reached the border and what they had to endure. Yeah. So California is not always an easy place no, to I be. I thought it was really ugly when we crossed the border. <laughs> I don't remember what town it was, but it was brown and Absolutely there was the a lot of windmill things. Barstow. So you um, came and you moved in with your grandparents. You're living with them. How, how did, did you believe in God then? Were you already following Jesus? I did believe in God. Um, I was not currently going to church mm-hmm. when um, I lived at home, but I at times would go. I was in orchestra in church or, or in school, and so we would sometimes go and play in churches, and I would go with friends and stuff. And um, when I moved out here, um, my grandparents were obviously coming here, and they didn't as you know, go to church when I was growing up. So all of my summer years, I had not really seen them going to the Adventist church. So when I moved out here, and they were like, oh, I'm going to church, would you like to go? And I didn't really know anyone, so it was like, well, I either go or I stay home. So I was like, okay, I'll go. And um, yeah, that's how I started. So they gave coming. you that invitation, come to church, and you yeah. started coming to church, and then... Yeah. You had some questions, and Pastor Meyer started studying the Bible with you. Is that right? Yeah. Um, obviously, the churches that I was used to are not anywhere similar to. Yeah, um, and they weren't bad things. I didn't think of it, but I recognized that they were different. Mm-hmm. And um, one thing was the Sabbath. I just thought these people were royally confused. <laughs> 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 like what everyone else <laughs> understands. So, um, you know, my grandparents were very patient with me, and um, awesome. we would often chat about things that I was confused with. But then they said, you know, why don't you start studying with Pastor Ivor? And um, so I did. And I was also, they were going to, every Friday night, they were going to Bible studies at Happen Vicky's house. Oh, um, who was there? <laughs> there was this guy that was there. Oh. <laughs> um, cool. Yeah, Aaron was there as well. And so that was really fun uh-huh. that we did that. And so between studying with Pastor Ivor and going to the studies um, at Happen Vicky's house, um, it really helped me. I feel like I tend to be a stubborn person. <laughs> and so God was working on me slowly, you know, and I would hear something that just didn't sound right to me and I was frustrated. And so I always had someone that I could ask. Yeah. And um, I wasn't going to cry, but... um, That's okay. um, I'm happy you're here, too. (laughs) Just the microphone. (laughs) Um, That's okay. But I really feel like God had blessed me. And I I feel like when I came to the church, that word was really cliche to me. I thought, what is that blessed word? But there's no other word to describe it because um, I had so many questions and... If my grandparents couldn't answer it, then either Aaron would or his parents or there was something that I saw or even a church member, you know, and um, it was just, I feel like God knew exactly what I needed in the circumstance because he had to pull me out of of my world, you know, a, a totally different side of the country. You know, I feel like if I was back in North Carolina where... I know everyone in my own social circle. I, I may not have chosen him, but um, wow. he took me to a completely different area where I knew where nothing was. I GPSed everything, and I knew yeah. no one, and <laughs> um, that's what it took for me. Praise um, the Lord. Thank you for sharing <laughs> that. Appreciate that. Isn't that an inspiring story? For her, it wasn't health. It wasn't the gym. 
It wasn't a revelation seminar. It was personal Bible studies and a group Bible study that God used to draw her. It was her grandparents who invited her, who gave her that simple invitation. But what if they hadn't, they just say, well, she would ask if she wanted to come to church. If she really wanted to know, she would ask. But they had to give that invitation. It was the promptings of the Holy Spirit, I believe. But they gave that invitation, and she's here. And there's this wonderful family that's growing in our church because Jesus was watching her from the East Coast to bring her out here to provide these opportunities. She didn't share part of her story where she really struggled with creation, evolution, and another resource was given to her, uh, something to watch, and that radically impacted her and enabled her to see the truth of Jesus as our Creator. And now I've seen, I've, I've been able to go to their house and seen where they have friends over and, and they are mingling with people who don't necessarily have a walk with Jesus, and yet those people are being impacted by it. They may not be here in church yet, but there's something happening through that. And I know that you have spheres of influence that you're wondering, is this making any difference? Jesus sees where those people are at. He sees what they're going through. And as you look to Jesus yourself, you will be able to overflow into their lives to be able to tell them what you have experienced, to be able to tell them little bits and pieces about Jesus. And that'll be a part of their journey where one day maybe they'll be standing right here and they'll be able to say, hey, this person gave me this flyer and this person loved me when I came in the doors of the church. Ashley wouldn't be here if it wasn't for somebody hugging Nadine as she came in the back doors of the church. If Jan Hoffman hadn't been there as a greeter and given her a warm hug, she said that she would have never come back to this church. If Happ and Vicki Lewis hadn't have given Bible studies to John and Nadine, maybe Ashley wouldn't be here. But you see, God is working step by step in all of our lives. We can trust Jesus to be an all-sufficient Savior. Let this be the goal of your life, that people would hear you speak, that they would see you live, and that they would follow Jesus. Point people to look to Jesus. Because when Jesus is lifted up, He promises that He will draw all people to Himself. I love what it says in the book Maranatha, page 99. It says, Will not our church members keep their eyes fixed on a crucified and risen Savior in whom their hopes of eternal life are centered? Won't, won't, won't people give that, that constant focus to the cross where His love is most radically revealed. Why? Because this is our message, our argument, our doctrine, our warning to the impenitent, our encouragement for the sorrowing, the hope for every believer. Can you think of anything more that you need to offer to somebody than Jesus and Jesus crucified? This is the Gospel, and through it is how we view all other doctrines. Our entire message comes to us through looking to Jesus. Look to Jesus and point other people to look to Jesus. Point point them to the Bible, to where Jesus is revealed from cover to cover. Show them how you can find Jesus throughout the stories of Genesis, throughout the Torah, throughout the Old Testament. Point them to Jesus goes on to say, if we can awaken an interest in men's minds that will cause them to fix their eyes on Christ, we may step aside and ask them only to continue to fix their eyes upon the Lamb of God. We can do just like John the Baptist to say, just keep looking. Just behold the Lamb of God and you're going to make it through. You want to know how to make it through the end times? You're worried about what's taking place in this planet? You're worried about North Korea? You're worried about Russia? You're worried about Syria? Fix your eyes on Jesus. People need to hear a message of hope. And if we're overflowing about who the beast is, and not about Jesus, then we have a problem. We need to understand who the beast is because it needs to scare us to focus on Jesus, but not so that we can parse out all of the details. We need to look to Jesus. If you're overflowing about anything else but Jesus and Jesus crucified, then I challenge you to ask Him to reveal Himself to you. Ask for the Holy Spirit on a daily basis because the Holy Spirit is the one who will teach us all things who Jesus says He'll, he'll bring to your remembrance all things that I have said. Continues, He whose eyes are fixed on Jesus 
will leave all. You might think, man, my, my friend needs to go through all of these steps in order to be a Christian. How is that ever possible for them? Point them to Jesus. If they could just fix their eyes on Jesus, once they see that the God of the universe gave Himself for them, they'll be ready to give all in order to follow Jesus. He will die to selfishness. He will believe in all the Word of God, which is so gloriously and wonderfully exalted in Christ. Friends, look to Jesus and Jesus crucified. Look to Jesus on the cross. Look to Him and live. And look to Him and point others to look to. Give them that invitation. Come and look at Jesus. Give people the opportunity to look to Jesus. That same devotional book, Maranatha, continues to say this same page. It says, It is the privilege of every Christian not only to look for, but to hasten the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Quoting from Second Peter, we don't just have to look for and get excited that we're Adventists looking for Him coming, but we have the opportunity to actually speed the day of His coming by revealing to more and more people the character of Christ, by pointing more and more people to the cross of Jesus Christ, by getting more people to behold the Lamb of God. Jesus can come sooner. We're all who profess His name bearing fruit to His glory. How quickly the whole world would be sown with the seed of the gospel. Quickly, the last harvest would be ripened and Christ would come to gather the precious grain. As we look to the cross and we see Jesus lifted up there, we can have confidence that we'll begin to overflow into people's lives. And the next thing we know is we're looking to the cross. Pretty soon we're going to look up into the clouds and we're going to see that Jesus Himself is coming back in all of His glory. You want to look to Jesus? You want to fix your eyes on Jesus? Friends, times are urgent. This past week has helped me to realize this in a personal way. For those of you with a medical background, it may not seem like that big of a deal, but on Wednesday as I brought my wife home from the, the, the surgery, and I th- thank you for Jan Heiss coming with us and helping us out because I couldn't have managed because the whole way home, she was losing any contents that she had left in her stomach. We kept pulling off the road periodically as we came home. Finally, we got home, and she came in. She collapsed in the hallway, and I was just there trying to figure out how to get some liquids down her, trying to help her in the best possible way. And then she said that she needed to go to the bathroom. So I was helping her into the bathroom, and I, I stepped away for just a second to grab something to step back when I heard her say, I'm blacking out. And suddenly I looked in the bathroom and there she was beginning to just crumple by the toilet. And I thought, oh man, I failed her. I should have been there. And I, So I grabbed her and I began to set her back into the hall. When all of a sudden she stiffened up and she, she was so gray and pale and her eyes rolled into the back of her head and it didn't look like she was breathing anymore. And do you know what that does to a husband who doesn't understand what's happening? You know what that does to think that maybe your wife is dying right now? I began to frantically grab my phone and uh, I said, call 911. And Siri thankfully figured out what that meant and was beginning to call 911. I was trying to figure out what am I supposed to do right now? I had CPR years ago and I, I began to check her, her, whether she was breathing and try to figure out what am I supposed to do now? Friends, life is fragile. Praise the Lord, my wife is doing tons better. And the, the doctor said that that can happen when a person is, is, has low blood pressure and all the things that were going on for her. You don't need to rush her to the ER. And she's doing much better now. You don't have to worry. She's not dying. But later, as I was driving to get another prescription to help her with, with the nausea that she was undergoing, it just hit me. That's what it could have been like to lose your wife this week. And that's what God feels like on a daily basis as He loses countless children out there who don't know Him, who don't love Him, who don't have that hope. If Leah passed away, praise the Lord, I believe that I would see her again. And I believe that we could live together in eternity. But what about my neighbors who maybe don't know Jesus? What about the people who haven't gotten that invitation? What about the people in my family who haven't fallen in love with Jesus? 
Do I have the urgency that he wants me to have? Do I have the heart of Jesus? I have to say, I don't have the heart that I want to have. I want to have a desperation like I had in that moment to see, Jesus, to see Leah take another breath. I want to have that same desperation to help people to look and to live. Because in looking is peace. In looking is joy. In looking is everything that people need for their lives. This time, I want to invite the deacons to pass out two cards to you. They're the same card, but it's called a like card, okay? This is a like card. So I want you to think about right now people in your life that you really like, people that you would like to see in heaven, but think about people specifically that you believe don't know Jesus, that they haven't had that opportunity or they haven't fully committed, they haven't surrendered their lives to Jesus. So take two of these cards, each of you take two of these cards, and and you'll notice this is what like stands for. I got this from a friend who's a pastor up in Washington, Dustin Cerns. List five to ten people. That's what the L stands for. What does L stand for? List five to ten people you'd like to see one to Jesus. So you can list those people. List five to ten people that don't know Jesus that you'd really like to see one to Jesus. Then the I stands for intercede for them daily. Last week, many of us committed to pray every day for the Holy Spirit. We'll pray for the baptism of the Holy Spirit in the lives of these people. We've looked before at the story of George Mueller, how he prayed throughout his life for five individuals, and God reached them, some of them, after he died. So this may take a long-term commitment, but pray for these people. So that's number two. List, and the I is intercede. The K is kindness, shown through words and actions. Show, show kindness to these people. Figure out ways to share kindness with them through what you say and through what you do for them. And finally, encourage Bible study and decisions. Give them an invitation. Invite them to the seminar that we have coming up with Eddie Perez, The Ultimate Hope. There's a flyer in your bulletin. There's flyers in the back. There's 300 of them to start off with. We'll have more next week. It's an opportunity where just for one week, people can come out and they can learn the truths that we hold dear about Jesus. And hopefully they can learn to look to Jesus as their ultimate hope. It's an attractive flyer that has Jesus on the front of it. I love to be able to hand somebody something like that and say, hey, I'd love for you to come and experience this at my church. And come yourself, because it's going to be a refreshing experience. You're going to hear powerful stories that that Eddie's going to share. But this is one possible invitation. You can invite them to the plant-based meal each week, right, Laura? You can invite them to a personal Bible study at your house. You can invite, op, offer to do that for them. Or we have resources. Come talk to me. If you want something to share with somebody, I would love to help you share Jesus with that person. I'd love to give you any type of resource from a Bible study to a DVD that you could have them borrow. We'll help you to help people to come into contact with Jesus. Does this make sense? So you list the five to ten people. And do it on both cards because what I want you to do is as you go out, if I could get deacons at the doors to hold a plate and turn one of the cards in because what we'd love to do is to join you in praying for those people. Is that okay? If you're comfortable with that, just put one of the two cards in the plate and we'll pray for those people. And the other card, you take it and you put it on your mirror. You take it and you put it uh, on your refrigerator. Or if you can't think of the five to ten people right now, you could always bring it back. But I'd love to be able to pray for those people personally and to get a team of leaders here at the church interceding because there's power when we pray together. Friends, God wants to reach many more just like we've heard the stories today. He wants to give them hope. Let it be the goal of your life to look to Jesus so that when people hear you speak, that they will follow Jesus. Let's pray together to close. Father in heaven, thank you for the inspiring stories that we've heard today. Thank you for how you have led individuals in in this church to look to Jesus. And we could have gone through so many more lives and stories that have brought us to this place. But Jesus, we're not home yet. 
we still have a ways to go. Teach us to constantly look to you as our only sufficient Savior. Teach us to run the race looking to Jesus. And Lord, would you overflow from our lives into other lives so that they too, when they hear us speak, when they see us live, will follow Jesus. Oh God, that's the goal of our lives. That people would see us, that they would hear us, and that they would follow Jesus because of what they hear and what they see. Bless my friends as they go out to just share in people's lives who you are already reaching, who you are already drawing. Thank you that we can go with confidence knowing that you get there before we get there, that you're already working on these lives and that you long to draw them to Jesus. We pray this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.